Well, welcome to the first part of our new teaching series for this fall called Hostage. No doubt you've seen in the news lately about the young girl named J.C. Dugard who was kidnapped at age 11 and was not found until she was 29 years old. So for those 18 years, she remained a hostage. And as I first started seeing those news reports, I thought to myself, why didn't she run? Did anybody else think that? When she got old enough to to know what was going on and, and as she got larger physically, why didn't she just run? Why didn't she overpower somebody and just take off? Evidently, a lot of people have that question. A couple of weeks ago in Newsweek magazine, some experts were asked, why doesn't a hostage like that take off as soon as they can? And they explained in Newsweek that she was suffering from what they call Stockholm Syndrome. And this is what that is. It's six steps to becoming pretty much just brainwashed. The first thing that happens is a, a gratitude towards the captor. He didn't kill me. She didn't kill me. I'm still alive. Thank you. And then that transitions to some kind of twisted trust in this person who's holding you hostage. And because in a situation like that, who wouldn't be desperate? And the little girl was so desperate that she began to trust in her captor. And then the next step of six steps is they, they reject the rescuers. Because by this point, they bonded with the people who, who, who's allowing them to live who they want to believe good things about. And then it moves to identification with the captor, beginning to develop a relationship. And the younger the person is when they begin being held hostage, the more likely that is to happen. And then they switch into this survival technique and begin to assist the captor. And then the last step, And this whole brainwashing process is they develop a reluctance to escape. That's a sad story of a young girl who missed out on 18 years of her life by being held hostage. As tragic as that story is, how many people walk into this room today and you're being held hostage by something. That there's something in your life, you finally just resolve to the fact it's part of your life, that's who you are, and maybe even somehow you find a twisted comfort in this thing that holds you hostage. And if you talk to someone who's held hostage by something like worry or fear or anger or addiction or or money, or, or whatever, and you don't deal with that, you're probably like me, and you think, man, just don't worry, just stop worrying. Tells you what a good counselor I am, right? Just get over it, you know? Just get past it, come on. It's been a day, you know? But we look at somebody that's been held hostage to an emotion or something spiritual, and if we don't deal with that, we say, just get over it. Just get past it. But people can't. And people live their lives day after day, a hostage 
to things emotionally and relationally and spiritually. And because of that, you miss out on the life that God had for you to live. Just like that little girl missed out on 18 years that she'll never get back. Every day you live as a hostage to something is a day that you'll never get back. So in this series, we're going to try to go step by step and help us gain the tools we need to break free. And to stop living the life we're not meant to live and to move into the life that God created for us to live. You know, the Bible says there's an evil one, Satan. And, and I believe he's real. And in our lives, he's got one purpose. That's to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. So the longer you stay trapped, the longer you're a hostage, the longer you feel like I just can't get out of this no matter what happens, it's still part of my life, the closer and closer you get to that spiritual brainwashing, he's happier and happier that you're not living the life that God designed for you to live. As we go through this series for the next few weeks, we're going to look at different episodes from Scripture about whatever topic we're talking about that week. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. When I say Scripture, that's what I'm talking about. Are these Bibles or any Bible? If you don't have a Bible, please take one. We give these out every week at LifePoint because we want everybody to have one in their hand, and we believe that the words contained in that book are true, and they'll lead you to a knowledge of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's a question that we're all going to have to answer. No matter who we are, no matter how rich, how poor, how talented, how not talented, no matter how thin, how fat, whatever, you're going to have to answer this question. Take a look. Our financial analyst training program is so competitive. We have over 8,000 applicants for 10 positions. So... Why don't you tell me, in your own words, who exactly is Annie Braddock? Wow, that's, <laughs> that's certainly an easy enough question. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie Braddock is a kind... Well... I am... Um, no idea. Excuse me. Who is Annie Braddock? It wasn't exactly a trick question, yet somehow I couldn't formulate a response. Of course, I knew all the basic facts, date of birth, hometown, socioeconomic makeup, but I didn't really know who I was, where I fit in, who I was going to be. I was suddenly terrified I'd never find the answer. What if I grabbed a microphone and I said, one by one, I want you to come up on the stage and tell people who you are. Could you do it? Do you know yourself good enough to be able to say, this is who I am? Now, most people would talk about what they do. You'd tell us your profession, but who are you? Not what you do, but who are you? Many people walk through life and they never really know who they are. I have a good friend who got a phone call one day and discovered that someone had stolen his identity. 
And he went through months and months of trying to undo what someone had done acting while they were acting like him. They'd gotten credit cards. They'd bought stuff. I think they'd applied for a loan for a house. All kinds of stuff they had done under his identity. They were acting like someone they were not. Many people walk through life acting like somebody else. Having an identity crisis that they're not being who they were created to be, but they're being maybe who somebody else wants or what they think somebody else wants or allowing all kinds of external circumstances to dictate who they are. And they search and they search and they search and never find out who they really are. The number one desire for humans in survey after survey is that their life would mean something. That they would have made some kind of a difference in life. And we all want to know that if our life ended today for whatever tragically, what, age-wise, whatever takes us out of this world, we want to be able to look on that last day and look back and say, the things I did counted and they made a difference. If you don't discover who you are and your true identity, you will always wonder if you made a difference. You will always wonder what life was really about if you don't understand and live in and embrace your true identity. When we were putting together this series and topic after topic after topic of what we believe people are held hostage by, the discussion started being about, well, what should be the first one? Well, the first one ought to be, where, where are people's identity? Because this one's foundational. This one's the key to all the other ones. Because if you don't understand who you are, when you're dealing with worry, or you're dealing with anger, or you're dealing with addiction, or you're dealing with some other kind of pain, or you're dealing with all the gifts that God's blessed you with, if you don't understand who you are, Dealing with all those other things that hold you hostage are going to, is going to be very difficult if you don't understand who you are. Here's a big thought for today for people who are held hostage by their own identity. When I look for identity in anything other than God, I'm a hostage to myself and my ever-changing wants. Because my wants change. Anybody's wants change? Do, do you want something... Now, that, that's different than you wanted 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Of course. Your wants change. And if you don't understand your identity, and if your identity is in anything other than God, you're going to be a hostage to every whim, every new desire, every new emotional direction or feeling that you have. If you don't understand, my identity is firmly in God. You know, we tend to look for identity in a lot of places. In, in our gifts, in what we have or what we do, maybe in our resume or the different roles that we play. Look for identity in being mom or dad or boss or employee or, or some talented person or, hey, I'm a person that can make lots of money. That's my identity. That's who I am. I'm a person who's got great athletic ability, so that's who I am. If your identity is in those things, you will always be let down. Some people even base their identity in what, what, what they drive or what they wear. All of us base our identity on something, either consciously or subconsciously. Now, you're probably sitting there going, I don't, I don't base my identity on stuff. 
Maybe you don't even do it consciously, but you do. People do it all the time. You know, when I received the title husband, I thought, what a, I'll, I'll never have it. This is a great title. I love this title. And then I got the title father, and I was like, oh, this is a great title. And then when I got the title pastor, I thought, this is a great one too. And if I'm not careful, that last one will become my identity. This church, this thing called LifePoint, will become my identity. And just to confess to you, I struggle with that. Does anybody struggle with the thing they do becoming who they are? Or am I the only one? No, we all do. And I struggle with my identity being, well, how good was this? Or how good was that? Or how many pats on the back? How many good emails? If they're bad, I'm bad. If they're good, I'm good. And and when my identity gets wrapped up into that, I'm not living the life I was meant to live. And when your identity gets wrapped up in that, you're not living the life you were meant to live. I called up one of my spiritual mentors one day and I said, his name's Earl. I said, Earl, I'm having trouble. I just have a hard time just, just not thinking every moment about what I do and a hard time not getting wrapped up in that becoming my identity. And he said, well, so did I at your age. Earl's much, much older than me. And he said, here's what I did. He said, I went out one night on my back porch and I looked up at the sky and I said, God, I resign as king of the universe. I'm finished. This is all yours now. I'm not going to try to run it anymore. And that was the advice he gave me. Go give God the church because it's his anyway. And don't let that be your identity. I mean, we're kind of born with it, right? I mean, when we come into the world, who's in control? We are, right? Anybody have a baby recently? Who's in control of the house? Who controls when everybody sleeps? Who controls when everybody eats? Who controls when things are peaceful, when things are chaotic? The baby does. And so that starts when we're little tiny beings and then we grow and some, some teenagers are still babies and still controlling the house, right? And then some older kids, come on moms, are going, amen, finally, you know, somebody said it. And then we get a little older, we still want to be in control and then we just become big babies and you're probably thinking, yeah, I married one of them, I know exactly what you're talking about. The point is, identity problems are the result of basing your identity on the wrong thing. If you can't answer who you are, then your identity is probably in danger of being based in the the wrong thing, and then you have become a hostage to yourself. You become a hostage by basing your identity in the wrong thing. I see people do it time after time after time. I'm tempted to do it day after day and put my identity in the wrong thing. And that creates a crisis and that makes us feel trapped. You know, I've noticed something. Here's a fact about identity. The more you have going for you, the more potential you have for an identity problem. It's true. The more you have going for you, the more the world's going to say, you're wonderful, you're great, you're perfect, you're talented, you're beautiful. Then you're going to be more tempted to have an identity problem because you've got so much going for you. 
Did you ever talk to anybody who had a lot going for them and then lost it, whether it was money or maybe an injury caused them to lose it or an accident or something? When they lose what they found their identity in, then they really start to think about life. Whether it's an athlete losing a talent because of an injury or it's a person losing their fortune because of the stock market, whatever the reason, those who are gifted and have more going for them have a greater potential to have an identity problem. And all you have to do is ask somebody who's had it and then lost it. The moment my gift, the moment what God's gifted me with becomes who I am, then I'm a hostage to my own identity. Singer-songwriter singer songwriter Michael Card recently had to go in counseling. He was just so burnt out, and he was just trying to find himself. And, and he writes about his, his journey into counseling to try to find some peace. And what he discovered was that he put a lot of trust in his gift, his gift of singing and songwriting and playing. And, and that gift became his identity. And he said, if my gift is just if my identity is in my gift, then I'm nothing but an idolater. And he went on to say this, the greatest impediment to spiritual intimacy is your giftedness. If anything's going to undermine your reliance upon God and become a source of pride in your life, it's going to be your gift. I mean, being good and knowing it is one thing. Being good and trusting in it is another thing. And that's what he's saying. If you start to trust in the things God has gifted you with, people have different gifts. And those ought to be celebrated, but they never should become anyone's identity. You know, struggling with that is nothing new. When I say original sin, what's two, who are two names that pop into your mind? Adam and Eve, right? That's true. Human sin, original. But there was rebellion and sin before that, before them. Not on the earth, but in the heavens. There was one of God's closest inner court angels sinned. The story is told in Ezekiel chapter 28. The book of Ezekiel is a, a book of prophecy. And oftentimes when you read prophecy, it kind of skips around what it's talking about. And he's talking about, Ezekiel is this king of Tyre, but he's also talking about something else too. He's talking about a physical king on earth, but he's talking about this spiritual being, this episode that took place long before earth was even here. And he's talking about Lucifer. He's talking about the being we call Satan. And here's his origin. Here's how he got to the low position he's got now. From Ezekiel 28, it says, You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. See, this guy Lucifer had a lot going for him. He had looks on his side. And he had wisdom on his side. Those two usually don't go together. So, so he had them both. He was beautiful. 
and he was also full of wisdom. But he started to just get drawn in by his own beauty and his own wisdom. And his identity got on the wrong things. And now he's the being who used to be beautiful, but now is nasty, ugly, terrible. He's the being that used to be full of wisdom in God's inner court. And now he's the being that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy our lives emotionally and spiritually and even physically. At the end of the day, we have a choice. Here's the choice. Are you going to base your identity on who you are and how you look, what you can do, or what you have? Or are you going to base your identity on who Christ is and what Christ can do? That choice will determine who you become. That choice will determine the kind of life that you live. And if you don't choose Christ as the foundation, you'll find yourself a hostage to your own pursuits. There's another story in Scripture in the New Testament, book of Matthew, chapter 19, where a young man who was very gifted, very talented, God had blessed him so much, came up to Jesus and he had a simple question. He said, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why are you asking about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. And honor your, fa- honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This young man's life was based on what he had and what he could do. His own gifts and talents and abilities. He was smart. He was nice. He was polite when he came up to Jesus. He thought he had it all together. He thought he understood what it meant when it said, obey this command, obey that command, obey that command. But he was even finding his identity and his ability to be right. And Jesus is still saying, no, 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 there's still more. Your identity's not fully in me. His identity was in his ability to be right and his money. What Jesus is trying to say to this young man is, you really want to know what eternity's all about. You really want to understand what, what your identity should be then you need to give up yourself. That's what you need to do. You need to lose your own life and place your identity firmly in me. And when I look for identity in anything other than God, I'm a hostage to myself and my ever-changing wants. That was the fact 2,000 years ago when this guy was walking in the earth, and it's a fact today. And when I have this identity problem like, like this young man did, There are some characteristics that you can notice in people who have an identity problem. Or maybe they're just rude. But either way, identity problem. This guy obviously had a hard time admitting he was wrong. Because everything Jesus said, well, I've done that, well, I've done that, well, I've done that. Nobody's done all that. Jesus had already explained what murder really was. It really wasn't taking a knife and killing somebody. Murder was even thinking bad thoughts about somebody. Anger In anger, you can commit murder and never commit a crime. 
But he, he never even considered, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am wrong. Have you ever met anybody that, that they give a fake apology? You know what a fake apology is, right? A fake apology is when somebody says, I am so sorry that you are offended by that. That's another way of saying, I'm so sorry you're an idiot. And you just can't seem to understand what I'm trying to say. I mean, an apology is not an apology unless it has these words in it. I was wrong. Man, first service, I saw nudges and people talking. And it, I mean, really? Think about it. And when you, when you apologize to somebody, it's got to have those words. I was wrong, not, oh, I'm, I'm sorry you took it that way. I'm sorry that you're offended. I mean, do you see how that lays the blame on the other person? Just say, I was wrong. I had to do it in the lobby right after first service. It's like God saying, all right, you believe that? You're going to do that? And this person came up and said, did, uh, did you get my, get my voicemail? Yep. Ten days ago? Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I, was, I should have returned your call. I was, I was wrong, you know, and I had to say it. This guy would have been like that. He wouldn't admit anything in his life was wrong. He was trying to say, hey, I've got all this great stuff. Now I just want to add eternal life to it. I've got the money. Uh, maybe he had the good looks. I've got, I go to church. I, I love my family. Everybody likes me. I'm popular. And if I could just add eternal life to all that, things would be perfect. And Jesus said, you can, but you got to give all that stuff up. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, that's my identity. That's who I am. And Jesus tests him big time by saying, all right, you want this? You, you really want this? Then give away all your money. And I'm sure the guy was going like, man, man, I thought I had it. Because people who have an identity problem, many times when they have an identity problem and it has to do with possessions, it's really hard for them to be generous. It's just difficult. It's difficult to be generous when your identity is based on your stuff and your money. See, Jesus will eventually get at it. If you're starting to squirm a little bit saying, how in the world did he turn this into a sermon on money when we're talking about identity? Maybe that's because God's trying to get at the thing that you put too much trust in. If you're like this guy and you put your trust in your stuff and your money, one day it's going to be gone. Either the stock market's going to take a downturn, you're not going to have saved enough, or you're going to die. Either way, can't enjoy it then. No hearses carry, have U-Hauls behind them. I mean, you know, saw a guy recently buried in his car. That's the closest you're going to get. Can't enjoy it. I'm not going to say it. Okay. Sooner or later, you're going to end up with nothing, with zero. You're going to be broke. There's no way you can avoid it. So why not listen to Jesus on the front end, like this guy when he was saying, just be generous. He couldn't be generous because that's where he placed his identity. And you would think, well, I would never do that. I would not. There's no way I would do that. If Jesus said, give your money away, I would give my money away. All right, here we go. Now, if Jesus walked in this door, for somehow, bodily form, walked in this door and stood right here and said, here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to give 10% of their income to me. That's what I want. And I'm going to let Donnie tell you about it a few times a year. So there you go. And then he left. Would any of us leave sad? 
Would any of us leave like, I just can't do it? Because that's what he says in his word, is to be generous. That will tell you how generous you are if already you're starting to reach for the wallet like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not sure how that's supposed to work. And I got to save for this and I got to do that. Look, God says it. And if it's uncomfortable when he says it, it's because you've got too much identity in that. And some of the most blessed people I know, when they combine that with generosity, they are some of the happiest people on earth. Because not only do they get to enjoy a bunch of what God's blessed them with and do all kinds of cool, fun stuff with it, they get to see the blessing that their gift is to the world. And this guy never gave it a chance because too much of his identity was wrapped up in what he had. Too much of his identity was wrapped up in his cash. Why is it that generosity is the hardest thing for people who have been blessed so much by God? If that's you, I, I don't have to tell you that. You already know if that's hard for you. For you, it may not be money, because this is not about money, but it's about the thing in which I place my trust. Maybe it's something else for you that you put your identity in, that you're not willing to give up. And when God says, give it up, you say, but God, I do this and this and this. And Jesus says, I want the thing that you hold most dear. That's what I want. The thing that... that competes with him for your identity and your foundation. That's what he wants us to give up. And we will live our lives not knowing who we are until we're ready to give up whatever that thing is. Through looking at this story, it's easy to see people with identity, an identity crisis get confused. He, he really couldn't decide, like, am I going to brag about what I can do? And I'm sure he thought about it. He probably just didn't whip it off. And he was probably really struggling with what should I do? And he had confused who he was with what he did. People with identity crisis live in confusion. People with an identity crisis are also prone to depression. Prone to be down. Prone to be sad. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm just talking about people who who have an identity crisis are just prone to just not enjoy life, just not be happy. It says the guy went away sad. And at that point, Satan, who aims to steal, kill, and destroy, says the brainwashing is complete. He is now fully held hostage by something that will not allow him to live the full life. And now, just like that little girl, who lived 18 years in bondage. How many years are we going to have to live in bondage because we're just not ready to let go? We're not ready to see reality. So where's my identity? Well, obviously, if you're a Christ follower, your identity should be in Christ. But here's some things you need to know. You're special, just like Mama said. You're special. You're special, honey. I, it doesn't matter all those boys can hit the ball further than you. You're special. You don't have to run fast, honey. You are special. Doesn't This doesn't matter because, sweetie, you're special. And everybody's mama or somebody in your life, that's what they tell you. No matter how bad you were at sports, no matter how challenged you might be in other ways, 
You're special. That's what God says to each of us. No matter what level of giftedness or things materially you might be blessed with, he says you are special. Independent of any gift or any ability or any material thing you have, you are special. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word workmanship comes from a Greek word poema, which means poem or masterpiece or work of art. So you really are special. You are God's work of art. You are his masterpiece. You are the poem that only God can write. That's what scripture says you are. No matter how much or how good or how much of anything you can do or have, you are God's masterpiece right where you are. Van Gogh said this. He said, Christ is more of an artist than the artist. He works in the living spirit and the living flesh. He makes men instead of statues. All right, here's an identity test. Everybody write this down. Think about it this week. What is in my life that if it was removed, it would remove my identity? What is it? Is it something I possess, something I have in the bank, something I can do? Is it what I see in the mirror? Any of that was removed, and you would, wouldn't have an identity, then your identity is in the wrong place. Here's what the Bible says Christ, where Christ's followers' identity is. Colossians 3, verse 3, it says, For you died, and now your life is hidden in Christ with God. See, I don't have to have an identity problem because I am in Christ. And whether things are going great or whether they're going bad or whether I'm dealing with great stuff in my life or challenges, I'm, I'm gone. My life is firmly in Christ if I'm a follower of Christ. And that's where our identity is supposed to be. Anybody have a favorite reality show? Anybody watch reality shows? Call, one, call a few out. Let me hear what you watch. Survivor. What else? Biggest Loser. Hell's Kitchen. Okay. Seen that. You know what? Nobody said The Bachelor. I heard, but I know you watch it. I hear you talking about it. It's like, I'm not going to say The Bachelor. It's in church and that's bad stuff. We watch reality shows because we think that's reality. My family and I gather around the TV for like five or six months, however long it is, and watch American Idol because reality sets in. And maybe that one probably is a little closer to reality. But how many of the other reality shows are not reality at all? Here's reality. Colossians 2 verse 17, it says, Reality, however, is found in Christ. If you want real, the only place you're going to get it is from Christ. Nowhere else. And you thought The Bachelor was real. I mean, come on. You know that's scripted. To create a reality they want you to believe so, you'll watch it. And obviously, it works. If there's anything real in your life, it's because of Christ. That's... That's the only way. That's why this message is so important to the messages that are coming because if you don't understand who you are, 
as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, then you're never going to be able to conquer the other things in your life that steal your identity and hold you hostage. How could you ever conquer fear without knowing who you are in Christ? How could you ever conquer worry or addiction or debt or religion or any of those other things you deal with in life that hold you hostage and make you feel trapped? How could you ever conquer those things and break free if you don't understand what you're breaking free to? And that's why this first one is so important. Because it's important you understand yourself and know who you are because you will always be with yourself. Write that one down. Discuss it at lunch. You can't, you can't get away from yourself. No matter where you go, there you are. I've been with me all my life, right? So it's important that you understand the person you're going to be with more than any other person on the face of the earth, you. See, it's not that it's a bad thing to be blessed or gifted. Those are great things. It's, and you don't have to give any of those things up. You have to reorient them. See, Lucifer was trying to shine his own light. The young man, he was trying to shine his own light, and they didn't want to give up to God the things that they thought made themselves shine. And I know you don't want to give up the things that make you feel like make you shine, my giftedness, my looks, my, my money, my whatever. Here's the thing. When you, when you come into a relationship with Christ, you don't have to give those things up. You have to reorient who gets the credit. You have to reorient where those things came from. And if need be, and Jesus says, give it all away, then you give it all away. But you can still shine. The light just comes from a different source. Guys, let's, let's imagine those of us who are married, we're at the beach with our wives and it's time to go for a walk and it's late at night and we look up in the sky and we see this and what do we see? Oh, the moon. And we say, honey, isn't the moon really bright tonight? Isn't it beautiful? Look how it's shining. Can't see the water, but it's glistening on the water. Isn't the moon shining beautiful and bright? When the reality is, and you know this if you're like past third grade, the, the moon has no light of its own. Here's what the moon really looks like at night. There you go. That's the moon at night. That's what it looks like. But go back to the other one. But that's what we see. You know why? Because the moon is positioned towards a light source, the sun. The moon does nothing but sit there. That's it or float, or whatever. The moon's just there. It's just a big rock, a big thing of dust and rock, and I don't know how all that worked, but God put it out there, and there it is, and, and it's just there. And the only light the moon has comes from the sun. So when you see the moon, you're not really seeing light from the moon. You're seeing light from the sun. It has no light of its own. What if when people saw your gifts whatever they are, your abilities, your talent, they didn't say, man, he's got a lot, or man, he's blessed. What if they said, wow, isn't God really good? Because they really didn't see you. They just saw God's reflection. What if you just became a reflector? And that's it. You're just a reflector. You don't put out any light, just a reflector. 
Now, Lucifer, he wanted to put out some light. This young man we read about in Matthew 19, he wanted to be putting out some light so people could be saying, look at him, isn't he bright? What if they never saw your brightness? What if they only saw God's? When you decide to reflect, it changes the way you do everything. It changes the way you spend your money. It changes the way you raise your kids. It changes the way you interact with other people. When you just say, my life is nothing but a reflection. My identity is firmly in Christ. My life is hidden. All reality is in Jesus Christ. I've got that relationship with him. And I'm just going to reflect his goodness onto the world. So whatever goodness I have, it comes from him. I'm just going to be the moon. That's what I'm going to be. What if you did that? It would change everything about you. And you would never have to struggle with the question, who am I? Who am I really? And you could just say, I am just a reflector. I'm just a reflector of what I've been blessed with, who the blesser is. And I just receive that and I reflect that out to the world. Wouldn't it be a lot easier when it comes time to be generous, when it comes time to be helpful, when it comes time to tell the story? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if you just understood everything I have is just going to be a reflection of who he is? The identity crisis comes when we try to hold those things and say that is our identity. And if you're doing that, you are hostage to yourself. And the only way you're going to break free is to just let it go and say, I am just a reflector. May you seize every opportunity that you have this week to reflect all of God's goodness. If you don't know what God's goodness is, then you come and talk to me or any of the other pastors, and we would love to share that with you, how you can get your identity firmly based where it was created to be in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we pray for ourselves because there's so many things that compete for our identity, so many things that compete to bring us hope. And God, the things that we hold on tightly to, I pray that you would clearly in our lives say, just let it go and let it reflect my goodness and allow each of us to feel the blessing that comes from that. Fathers, we go through this series on how to break free from very real relational and emotional issues. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and allow us to break free from those things and firmly put our faith and our identity completely in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.